Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Good to be here. I was uh, as watching the uh, worship team perform as usual. And I got to thinking, back in the day, I used to lead music, believe it or not. Uh, and what was really unbelievable, I was telling Jeff and Kelly Rex about it, I said, there's probably some people here that still remember when I had to lead music a cappella. And uh, I'm just saying, probably most of them are trying to forget that. But <laughs> I, I do appreciate uh, our worship team and, and all their talents and gifts and abilities and, and the leadership there. It's going to be a kind of a segue into what we're going to speak about this morning in First uh, Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at, at verses uh, 1 through 13. And it has to do, as soon as I can get my eyes adjusted here, uh, to church uh, leadership and governance within the church body. Uh, Paul informs Timothy here <clears throat> of the type of leadership required for a church there in Ephesus to be healthy and to be progressive, uh, to thrive, to fill God's eternal plan, plan and lead people to Jesus Christ. So he's instructing Timothy in this matter and the type of people he needs to put in place in these, in these churches there in Ephesus. Um, leaders and all saints and actually uh, are called to remain faithful, to fight the good fight. And that's what we've been, uh, the, our study has been about here in Timothy is how to fight the good fight. Every organization has to have a leader. Uh, did anybody watch uh, WVU play last night? <laughs> Yeah, okay, yeah. And uh, they, they won. That was awesome. But, you know, if you was on a football team and you didn't have a leader, if you didn't have a coach, if you didn't have any direction to go, I mean, it would be just helter-skelter, wouldn't it? So, I mean, there's not one organization. There's not one family. There's not one church. There is not one business. There's not one organization that doesn't need leadership. We have to have leaders, don't we? And we have a perfect example of what a leader is. And you could probably guess who that one person is. That I don't think any man has ever retained. And that's Jesus Christ, our Lord, isn't it? Matthew 20, 28 says, Christ did not come <clears throat> to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So we see the first and most important trademark of a leader is that they are a servant first. I used to be a trainer at Bear and taught leadership training. Uh, and one of the things that I always try to purport to these people was how important your leadership is. Because it sets the culture for those that serve under you. And that is true in any organization. The leader sets the tone. He sets the culture. And I'll tell you, you, I've seen good leadership, and I've seen people thrive. I've seen bad leadership, and I've seen people disgruntled and miserable. I don't know, probably most of you have experienced both of those yourself. I know I have. 
in, in, my, in my life. But to let you know what a leader is, I, the definition I chose for a leader was a person who influences or directs others. And manages, he manages, they manage a family, a group, an organization, or a country. So with that definition, in essence, everyone leads to some degree. You inf there's not one person here today or listening online that does not influence other people in some fashion, whether that's good or whether that's bad. You have to make that choice. And, and today, the things we're going to talk about, the traits we're going to talk about, determines the kind of leader you are and the type of impact you have in the world today. Not everybody is called to be in a position of authority because you can't have all chiefs and, and no Indians, <laughs> if you know what I mean. I, I mean that respectfully, uh, of course, to the Indian <laughs> people. But, but there has to be a, a head. There has to be a leader. And, and one of the things that I used to also train people in, uh, well, and, and I use a lot with my counseling, is, is creation. I'm a creation therapist, which deals with people's temperament. And not everybody is built to be in that position of authority. And, but God knew that. But also God knew from the beginning of the world, before he created you, before he created me, he put within us a specific temperament that he needed to achieve his purpose for his church for, in, in, in your life. And some people... Uh, are just not attuned to, to the, that leadership role, but very supportive. And they do. They, everybody influences other people, for sure. So every church needs a leader, and that's what Pastor uh, Mast is. He's, he's the leader. We have uh, other elders. I'm an elder. I was an elder, but I'm on a sabbatical right now. But uh, the, uh, we need a, yeah, the church has to have a head. They have to have a leader. And they're the ones that, that cast vision and set direction and, and, and provide planning and evaluation. They're the ones that, that kind of have to be led by God because, man, when, you, when that, that role of a pastor, you talk about a responsibility. He's going to have to answer, as with the other elders that serve, they're going to have to answer for how they lead, what fashion they led, that they honor God in all they did. So the qualifications here are pretty serious and pretty challenging. But as, as we're going to see <clears throat> that uh, every leadership comes with responsibility and accountability. So I guess my question as we go through this, how are you doing in that role God has put you in, in that role of leadership to some degree, whatever that is? Um, I'm thankful for our worship team. Uh, Tina is our director of music uh, our, our worship team. And uh, so I'm thankful for them and the, and the gifts and talents and ability that all these guys are using up here to worship our Savior. And I, and I respect that big time. So we're going to talk about first, and if I'm going to read in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and it sp speaks specifically to elders. And I'm using the... Uh, King James, or no, I'm sorry, NIV version. <clears throat> this is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, and then there's a lot of different words that have been used here. Bishop, which is an overseer, a pastor, um, 
different words they have used there. He desires an honorable position. So an elder must be a man whose life is above approach or reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle and, and not quarrelsome and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? An elder must not be a new believer because he might be, become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. So also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced or fall into the devil's trap. So, boy, there's a lot of qualification there, and we're going to kind of unpack those a little bit deeper, okay, uh, to understand exactly what those are all about. Uh, but suffice it to say, uh, God, I think here it's pretty specific, gender-specific. God has given men that role of bishop or pastor or shepherd. <clears throat> if someone desires to be an elder, he desires an honorable position. He is not to serve out of compulsion because nobody else can, will, but willingly, enthusiastically, he must serve the body or the, the bride of Christ. He must be obedient. Their desire to serve has everything to do with their motive. Why are you serving? Are you doing it for power, recognition? Are you doing it for glory, authority, power? Uh, those are wrong reasons to be in leadership of the church. And God knows your heart. Why are you serving in that role as, a, as an elder? And it's not to be served out of duty, but it's served out of love and obedience to what God has called you to. <clears throat> Godly authority is granted to elders because they're the type of men who love God first. They love others. They have compassion for all humans and those that they serve, wanting no one to perish, as Christ said, no one not live with him for eternity. Being an elder is somewhat a call to death of selfish desires and sacrifice and servanthood. And Paul didn't want to leave the impression here, I don't think that just any man is qualified because of his gender. But he has to, he, it says he has to desire good work, which is noble and honorable service because they represent God's plan for the church in the greatest mission of all, and that is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to make disciples of him. In Matthew 20, 25 through 28, Jesus called him, uh, called him to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, 
and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be grant great among you, you must be, must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. <clears throat> so it, it is not for elders to lord over people, but to, to love and to serve people and do God's will for his church. <clears throat> the, the qualifications for a leader has nothing to do uh, with the spiritual gifts, with your level of education, whether you're a great speaker, or how much time or money you spend uh, or give to God's church. What, what qualifies a man as a spiritual leader is a godly character and his spiritual maturity, how he handles himself. The qualifications do not demand perfection because we know there's not one of us here ever in this world that are perfect. It's impossible. But only Jesus Christ was perfect. Amen? <clears throat> but th th their choices and behaviors show that they have, they're following Jesus Christ. They pursue to be more like our Savior. So the first qualifications here, we're going to kind of break them down a little bit, as I said. Uh, uh, elders are to be blameless and above reproach which literally means nothing to take hold of in the Greek. There must be nothing in their life that others can take hold of and attack them or the church. And that's a pretty big challenge, is it not? No one can right, rightfully accuse them of any grievous sin, even though we all sin. There is no unrepentant sin or dysfunction that would destroy the credibility of the church, the gospel that we preach. Even though they're not perfect men, they recognized, they're recognized for leading a godly life in the home, in the community, in the workplace. He must be, an elder must be faithful to his wife. That's, that's an interesting concept these days, isn't it? Uh, the divorce rate among Christians is about the same uh, now as, as it is above the world, uh, uh, secular world. The qualifications here specifically means that an elder must be a one-woman man. Doesn't mean that an elder may, if his wife would pass, that he could not remarry or biblically divorced. An elder does not have to be married. A perfect example of that is, is Christ himself. And Paul and many of the, the apostles were not married. <clears throat> the idea is that his love and affection and heart solely belong to just one woman. I believe that the qualifications required here is, is certainly that they're not a polygamist, of course, in any fashion. An elder is to be an example of marital fidelity. Not only to the world, but to his family 
and his children. Elders must be temperate in self-control, it says. It's not, they're not given to extremes. They are reliable. They're trustworthy. They make good decisions. They're not moody. They don't have the mood swings. They're steady. People can trust them and rely on them. They're, they're, to be, they're self-disciplined enough not to be wrongfully, wrongfully influenced or controlled by others or things, but only Jesus Christ. His love and his obedience is what drives him to be an elder. Elders are to live wisely, to be sober-minded. They're able to, that means they're able to think clearly, know how to deal with serious issues and subjects, which a lot of times, uh, whether you're in the church or whether in business, there's a lot of major decisions that the leaders have to make. But they're willing to make difficult decisions that honor, always honor God. So in order for them to honor God with that, they got to be on their knees seeking God's plan, do they not, for His will. They're not given to foolish behaviors, uh, but honorable in their dealings. They know their strengths, and they build on those, and they know their weaknesses, which we all have, and they build on those as God gives them grace and insight to do so. They are introspective. They're humble. They're sensitive and sensible. They're prudent. They're reasonable people. Elders are to be of good reputation and good behavior. They are to act orderly and with dignity in their homes, in their church, in their work, their community, in their workplace. They are to live in such a way that draws the respect of men and women and the desire to see what is different about that individual in a good way. Their behaviors and choices bring honor and respect to himself and his family and to God and others. He is a man of integrity in all that he does and says. He's not to be prideful. Uh, you know, as we've probably, you've probably all heard, uh, pride goes before a fall. You ever heard that one? And isn't it true? Elders and actually, you know, when I, and Christians are not to be self-controlled, but God-controlled. In order to, for that to happen, you have to have that relationship with Jesus Christ in your life. Pride is self-serving and arrogant. Humility is unpretentious. He's supposed to have, elders are supposed to have guests in their home and be hospitable. He loves and is compassionate to the saints as well as the sinners. He loves to minister uh, to others' needs, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Willing to open up his house to both friends and strangers. And elders are always generous to God and to others. 
And it says in verse 2 there, an elder must be able to teach. This is the only one skill set that is required of an elder. All the rest are character traits. Because testimony matters, doesn't it? In this world when others are watching. Uh, we was talking to our 242 group the other night. You know, if you say, if you're out in the public or work or wherever you are, and you say, yeah, I'm a Christian, uh, th- th- be ready. Because people's going to watch. People's going to watch your choices and your behavior. And they're going to know whether you're truly a child of God and whether you're obedient to Him. It's a great responsibility. <clears throat> they are skilled, are supposed to be skilled in uh, teaching God's Word and all truth. And that's the, always the concern that I've, I've, I've ever had if, as I speak God's Word, that I never, ever speak anything that is not truth. Because we have to answer for what we purport, don't we? For what we say. Everything, our book has a life. Our, 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 our life is in a book. And we're going to stand before Jesus one day and that book's going to be open. Now we're not going to be judged, and, and, uh, but, uh, but we're going to have to give an answer. God has given you certain temperament, certain gifts, talents, abilities. How'd you use it? And that's what we, we're going to have to answer for one day. <clears throat> the elders are supposed to be able to teach the gospel with boldness and with clarity. This doesn't require them necessarily to preach from the pulpit, but it, they, they can answer correctly when uh, asked about the Lord and, and the Savior. He's to disciple others in word and in deed. They must not be heavy drinkers or given to much wine. And I don't probably have to explain that much. I think Jonathan touched on that a bit the other day. Uh, it doesn't prohibit them from drinking, but it certainly discourages them from drinking to dissipation or excess. Uh, they are not to be addicted to wine and alcohol. Um, they, they realize that refraining from the imbibing there can help with uh, being above reproach. Because sometimes alcohol can skew the mind. And, and uh, Satan can use that in a very harmful way. He is not to be violent, it says in verse 3. He controls his anger. He controls his tongue. It, it, you ever struggle with controlling your tongue? Anger, uh, I, one of the th- sayings I use often is, speak when you're angry, you'll make the greatest speech that you ever regret. And, and you ever done that? Boy, I have. So he guards his tongue. He understands, he, you know, James talks a lot about the tongue, how important it is. He does not treat others with cruelty. Or he does not seek revenge when mistreated. That's tough too, isn't it? Isn't that a natural bent? And Satan loves it when we seek revenge. A man who involves God in, in, to intervene in, in his cause and his issues. They don't like conflict. They're not afraid of it. And are, cable, are able to address it and capable in a godly fashion. And that's difficult at times, isn't it? They're to be gentle in verse 3. They follow Jesus' example there towards saints and sinners to be gentle with all people. It's hard to do that when people are not gentle with you. But 
it shows godly character. And it's, it's something that's not normal. It's not natural for us to do. But others notice how we treat other people. Are we gentle with others? He used to be an encourager, an edifier. The word edification, it's a church term, but it's to build people up, not tear them down. He's the man who involves God uh, <clears throat> in, in all that he does uh, for God's purpose. He is meek. Uh, the definition, you probably some of you heard the definition of meek. Meek is power under control. And boy, what a perfect example we have there of Jesus Christ, don't we? Power under control. That's what we're to exercise too. He exercises the fruits of the Spirit in, lo- in His love and His kindness, His patience and compassion. If you want to know where God is in a person's life, just check out how they serving God and using all the fruits of the Spirit in their life. It's hard to do all the time, for sure. In verse 3, he said he is not to be quarrelsome. He does not engage in pointless quarrels. Proverbs 15.1 says this, a soft answer turns away wrath. Harsh words stir up anger. Using always a soft approach, the soft words to deal with issues. They listen intelligently and intellectually to the points of others for understanding. They do not force their preferences or opinions on others. They always seek to walk in agreement with church leadership one of the things we do in our church, in the, in the leadership, uh, is we agree, we have consensus uh, when we make decisions. Uh, we don't vote. The reason we don't vote is because voters, when, we, when you vote in leadership, and you can do that in a small group, you can't do it in a, a large congregation, but when you vote, you have winners and losers. You ever voted <laughs> and lost? Well, when you lose, you have all the right to go out and say, you know what? I didn't vote for that. I'm against it. But I'll tell you, if you, if you walk in agreement, and if you say, I agree, then you cannot go out and speak against something you just agreed to in a decision. And, and the elders have to make a lot of decisions. Been there, done that. Amos, Amos uh, 3, 3 principle says this, how can two walk together except they be agreed? That's true in church leadership. And I'll, t- I'll tell you what, folks, it's certainly true in the family. If you have disagreements and quarrels always, how can you walk together in agreement and in peace and harmony? It's impossible. Elders are not to be covetous covetous or love money. He understands that all he has belongs to God. Everything. Financially and materially. Money does not control them. But they manage it well for God and what He has provided for them. He's a good steward. He is charitable. He's unselfish with all they have. He is not envious of what others have. A covetous person is a person who is never satisfied with anything. You may know some. Always demanding or desiring something more 
or something different. Never satisfied. This is not to be for church elders or for actually brothers and sisters in Christ. <clears throat> elders are to rule over and manage their own household well. One of the greatest, one of the greatest important roles of leadership uh, is for an elder, for a man, is in their home as a husband and a father. Men are given the responsibility of spiritual leadership of the family and morally and ethically. In 1 Corinthians 11.3, it says this, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of his uh, wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. So there's a chain of command. So the man must be responsible to God the Father for how he treats his family and his, his spouse. The elders demonstrate their leadership ability first in their home. A man's leadership in his home provides his ability to lead uh, the spiritual governance of the church. Because managing the uh, local church is like managing a family because we're all, as, as, as brothers and sisters of Christ, we're all adopted, aren't we? It's, it, we're a family. So you office here, I say up here, hey, we're church family. And so we are. So many, that's, that's when, when an elder sees that I'm managing my family, not only at home, but also my church family. It's a grave responsibility. <clears throat> and the thing is, if a man cannot manage his home well, he will probably not excel in managing the church. A man, and there is a warning here, that a man is too preoccupied with the affairs of the church or his work uh, and too little occupied with the affairs of his wife and his children in his home. He will suffer loss. That's just how God's plan is. I believe in life there's three priorities, three main priorities. The first is God. The second is family. And the third is work, because of sin, men had to work. If God's where he needs to be, the family will be where they need to be. And work will be where it needs to be. And I think within the family, there are priorities as well, three priorities. First, again, is God. Is he leading the husband and the wife? The second priority is spouse. And I think, well, no, wait a minute. How about, what about my children? Yeah, well, they're in there, but they're third. They're the third priority. Because I'll tell you, so go mom and dad, husband and wife, so goes the children. I've seen it over and over, folks. You set the example, my husbands and wives set the example for what their children's looking for in their life, in their marriage. I've seen... Dysfunctional, and I've seen uh, functional, uh, and the results of both. So how we treat our spouse, men, women, matters. It affects, it influences those that we love.
In verse 4, it says, children are to respect and obey him. Respect is something that's earned, isn't it? You just can't say, hey, respect me and then dishonor people. These are men, the elders are men that uh, love, that they're patient, they're kind, they're compassionate with their spouse and with their children. And they value and they tell them how valuable each of them are. And they love them unconditionally, unconditionally, just as God loves you and he loves me. Even though we sin, even though we fail, and we are are going to, our kids will too, but we love them unconditionally and we teach them. He disciplines, he teaches his children in love. Discipline is different than punishment. Discipline is, the root word of discipline is disciple. It means to teach. So when we're disciplining our children, we're teaching our children a better path. We're correcting wrong behaviors. And we could do that in a lot of different ways, but always when we do it, we must, elders must do that in love. But regardless, you've probably seen it before, uh, some children rebel, even in godly homes. Determining sometimes the cause of this can determine the solution and how you can approach and fix the problem with rebellion. Some of the things that can cause rebellion, not all, is because the parents have made poor choices and, and poor treatment and behaviors in the home. Can their rebellion be due to the company that they keep out in the world? Is the rebellion due to a lack of relationship with God? Is their rebellion maybe the result of not having quality time with mom and dad? I think today in this world, this materialistic world we live in, we think it's so important for our kids to have everything. And when that's not what they really need, they need mom and dad. They need that love. They need that discipline. I don't think you ever hear a child say, boy, I want you to discipline me, mom or dad. I don't think you'd ever hear that. But boy, I'll tell you what, that's what they want without speaking it. Because that says, you know what? I love you. I value you enough to discipline you, to teach you. Is there rebellion possibly due to the lack of proper discipline? Finding those causes, finding solution to those causes can help restore that rebellious child. Elders are in verse uh, 6 are not to be uh, a novices or a new believer uh, or a new convert. Uh, an elder to be qualified, uh, be spiritually mature, he must be spiritually mature and yet continuing to mature in his spiritual life. No one has ever arrived spiritually. That's a continual growth process, folks, until the day we die. And to do that, you have to have that relationship that daily relationship with your Savior. Age is never a good indication of spiritual maturity. I've seen uh, 
people that have been saved a year that are so much greater <laughs> mature than people that's been a Christian a lot of their life. How sad is that? I have a young man who's been working with that uh, was saved less than a year ago. <laughs> and this, this guy, this kid, he's, he's in high school, of all things. And uh, he plays football. But uh, he prays before a game by himself out in the field. Uh, when he tackles someone, he picks him up, helps him up, and he says, God loves you. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> young people like that, it's just, wow, what an example of, of showing God's love. Elders are to be firmly grounded in God's Word. They have the ability to rightly divide God's Word, of course. They have uh, experienced trials which have deepened, not destroyed, deepened their resolve to follow God and obey Him and to grow spiritually. That's why God allows us sometimes to go through those trials, isn't it? To help us to grow. We don't, none of us want it, but if we know that all things work together for good, to those that love God and are called according to His purpose, it all has a purpose. And all that bad stuff has a purpose and to can help us be more like our Savior, if we allow it. But we have to recognize God's doing it for a reason, and it's for our good. An elder has to consistently demonstrate the role of being a servant first. They understand the implications of Hebrews 13, 17, that they will give an account to the Lord for how <clears throat> he treated the bride of Christ and others. Elders are, have a good testimony in the community and speak, and, uh, speak well, others speak well of him. Good character and being evident is to be evident to believers and unbelievers wherever they are. All believers <clears throat> are to have the, a, a, a positive reputation and testimony because your honor, you're speaking of how, how God has changed your life. That is proof of their walk with God too. Oh, okay. There's a lot more. <laughs> ah. All righty. Well, I'll, I'll let you read this on your own. If you write this down, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5, and, and Titus uh, 1, 6 through 9 also speak of leaders and, and elders and how they're to behave and their qualifications. But with that, I'm going to go into the qualifications for, for deacons. And, and it was found in verses 8 through 13. In the same way, deacons must be well respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. Before they are appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined if they, if, uh, they pass the test and let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives must be respected and must not slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything that they do. A deacon must be faithful to his wife 
He, he must manage his children well again and his household. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Jesus Christ. Deacons were appointed back in, if you read in Acts, when the church first started uh, as, uh, to be servants, the, uh, the apostles saw that uh, the need to distribute daily assistance to the widows, the sick, the practical needs of the church, uh, needed, they needed help so they, they could focus more on the spiritual leadership of the church. And that's what elders' focus is supposed to be about, the spiritual leadership of the church. Deacons are to take care of the physical and the material and the logistic needs of the church. <clears throat> Deacons, like elders, are called to be servants first. They are not required to have that skill set to teach, but they are to be able to rightly divide the Word of God to all and answer to all that have uh, questioned them about our Redeemer, as every believer should. Every Christian should seek to be, actually, the role of a deacon, which, which means a servant. Because that's what we're called to, isn't it? Aren't we all called as, as a child of God to serve Him in some capacity, whatever capacity you have the gifts to be, have, uh, to use them, for God. All believers are called to serve. Not to be served. Just served, I should say. Many of the character uh, qualifications are much the same as those of an elder or a bishop or a pastor. <clears throat> the role of an elder or deacon is not more prestigious than the other. They both hold accountability before God. However, uh, we do not have the official role right now of, of deacons. What we have, what we have in, in uh, our church now is uh, when we went to the role of elders, we have what's called serve teams uh, and serve team directors to assume and oversee the roles of some of the, the taking care of the church in, in every facet. The worship team uh, director is an example of that. Uh, serve teams are just that. They're teams. They're made up of a leader to help direct them in the right direction, and then those that serve in, on that team. <clears throat> the the uh, director gives just guidance and coaches. We have most, both men and women in these roles today in our church, and they're necessary and they're honorable and, and uh, positions. We have several different ones, and we have a lot of different directors. Uh, so I, I, there, I'm, I don't know every one of them right now. So, uh, but if you're a director, you know who you are, that's for sure. <clears throat> but we're, we're thankful for those. Because what they do is they help us. They help us to do the mission of our church, which is to seek, which is to serve, and which is uh, to send out into the world. To, uh, one of our mission, our, uh, mission statements is to multiply disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the valley and the world. These directors, these elders and these directors uh, of uh, serve teams are, make that possible for us to do here at uh, Valley Church. 
So the qualifications of a, of a deacon, I'll go over these pretty quick. Uh, they show proper respect towards others. They're reverent. They're not double-tongued. Uh, they speak truth. They're not liars with no intent to deceive. They are not given to much wine again, not addicted or overindulged. They are not greedy for money. They're good stewards of all God has provided. They're generous. They hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, uh, which means they adhere to the proper truth of God's word and with sincerity and with conviction. They're first to be, they're first to be proved and tested. Uh, they're able to demonstrate their spiritual fitness and their spiritual maturity for the office that they held. They are found blameless, they, which means they're basically they're submissive to God's leadership in their life. Likewise, it says here, then the wives are to be respect, uh, uh, are to be respected. Their wives are to be respectful. Uh, so, the word actually wives there is actually translated women, uh, which uh, Phoebe. I don't know if you've, in Romans sixteen one, uh, Paul talks about the, uh, an elder, uh, Phoebe. Uh, I commend you, uh, our sister Phoebe a deacon of the church in Centuria. So if he is speaking mainly to the male deacon's wife, it is appropriate because a, man, a man's leadership in the home can be evaluated in part by his wife's conduct. Is she reverent? Is she respectful? Is she humble? Is she solemn? Does she slander, tell, bear tail, tail bear, or gossiper? Does she show temperance, exercise self-control, show self-restraint, peaceable? Is she faithful in all things? Is she trustworthy? Can her husband, can her children, can those whose lives she affects and influences, can they trust her? Is she committed and true in all her dealings. Proverbs 31 speaks about the virtuous woman. I won't go into that for time, but uh, it has a lot of requirements for women, just as men. Uh, uh, husband and wives, that's, uh, I believe, are a team in and of themselves. They work together for the good of their family. And it shows, again, if they're walking in agreement how well that, that happens. A male deacon, it says, has to be faithful to his wife and his children and his household. As an elder, these commands are a testimony for those two uh, to, uh, that they uh, influence and witness the uh, commitment and obedience to God in this area. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and a great boldness in the faith, which in Christ Jesus, it says in verse 13, all the work of a certain servant leader in God's family is recognized by God. There are no menial tasks when we serve our Father. All work and servant leaders do so for God's purpose, for God's will, and for His glory. They do their part to fulfill the Great Commission to go, to teach, and to make disciples. So every believer has that responsibility and mission to edify the saints 
discipleship and leading others to Jesus. Being ready to always give an answer for the hope that is within us. So in closing, a person, a leader is a person who influences and directs others by managing a family or group, organization or country. They call, they, again, their, their, their uh, qualifications are, are, are uh, serious and they're challenging. They're indicators of their godly character and their spiritual maturity. <clears throat> I guess my question is, how often do you pray for the leaders of our church? Do you pray? Do you pray for uh, our leader, our, our elders right now, or Doug Dillman, Jeff, uh, uh, Phil Bowser, Jeff Massey, uh, of course, and then Pastor Jonathan? How often do you pray for them? Do you pray for them? How often do you pray for the leaders of our government? How often do you pray for uh, our president of the United States? I'll read you this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that, that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. It doesn't mean we don't resist wrong and sin. What it means is that we spend our time instead of maybe criticizing and condemning, which is easy to do, isn't it, of a leader, that we spend time because God has appointed them and has allowed them for a time. Could he take them out in a heartbeat? Absolutely. Yeah. But they're there for a reason. And maybe some of the reasons we're going through some of the things we are in the United States today is God saying, hey, Christians, wake up. Wake up. We're to be praying for those guys. God can save. Is there anything too hard for God? Can we pray for those guys and maybe God save them? Absolutely. And then we're, again, to pray for our spiritual leaders. It says, obey your spiritual leaders in Hebrews 13, 17, and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls that, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. The type of person who makes a good leader is a person who answered the call to die to self. To sacrifice for God's grace, for God's glory, for His will, and to serve others. How are you influencing people in your life today? People seeing Christ in you, what it matters, folks, because we're talking about eternity, and where we spend etern eternity matters. One of the things I told my two four group, two four two group, probably in more one equation. I said, if you at the end of this life, you even if you live to be a hundred, that's a pretty long age, or a hundred plus, that's a long time, right? 
that's like, oh, okay, cool. But eternity, who can understand it? Uh, I kind of put it in this perspective. If you spend one billion years in eternity, as we know years, it does not lessen eternity by one moment. It's forever. Where you spend it matters. When you make that choice, you can only do that in this life. After we die, it's too late. And we're all going to die, right? None of us are going to survive. Uh, death rate's still 100% amongst humans. <laughs> Jesus said, listen, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Have you, if you're here today, if you're listening, have you, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? All these, all these character traits, man, if you did every one of those and not know Christ as your Savior, it's absolutely meaningless. Knowing Christ makes the difference. He's the one, as, as Danny said this morning, that bore our sins on Calvary's cross and made it possible for us to live in eternity forever with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And that, my friend, is a praise. Today it's not too late. If you haven't done that, you can do that. You can ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior, to come into your heart and save you, that you might have that hope and that eternity with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time we've had together. We thank you, Father, for your word and how it instructs us on how we ought live in this, as, as uh, children of you. Father, help us to be that example to the world. Father, we thank you for those of you who have put in leadership over us here in this church. We just pray for them, God, especially now. We just pray that, God, you guide them, you direct them, you protect them as they serve here. That, Father, your will is accomplished in everything within our church. That our church goes forth, not only here in the valley, but it goes forth to the world that others might come to know you as, as their personal Savior. Thank you, God, that you have provided that through our Savior, Jesus Christ. We just thank you for, again for your word and how you can use us for your honor and for your glory. And we give you the praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you are impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.